This is a podcast from Minute Media. This is the perfect signing for the Dodgers, and now they are the number one team to beat in all of the National League. When you're talking about four former MVPs, it's hard to get much better than that, Steve. Uh, When you look at power production with this team, I I look at every single guy in this lineup has the ability to go deep at any single given moment. Um, You don't get that a lot of times with a lot of different lineups. So the Dodgers were already known for the versatility. Now they even have more of that, including with the DH. So, um, man, I just think about when you add a guy like Freddie Freeman, not only his ability at, at the plate, but bringing that type of clubhouse presence in. Um, that takes you to a whole nother level. While I think initially people are going to be scared to death of that, I, I say all these great things about Freddie Freeman, I also think Matt Olson, if you're going to have a replacement, holy smokes, he's as good as it gets. So he is not Freddie Freeman. There's, there's no way you can say that his career has had that consistency yet or anything else. But this dude is really, really good. And if you're not going to land Freddie Freeman, and I get it, the Braves are obviously saving a lot of money by not doing this. Uh, but that being said, he is a really good replacement for Freddie Freeman. I like what the Braves have done. You know, you didn't, you didn't have to give him a multi-year deal. You gave him one year. You added McHugh as well. And they've got a pretty deep bullpen now. And kind of like we mentioned before, you, you got a lot of different guys. You can ease them in a little bit. You know, they, they, burned, they ran those guys pretty heavy in the postseason last year. So I, I think that was, that was pretty smart in an offseason where there necessarily wasn't a ton of pitching. Now, I, I do wonder about their pitching, their starting depth, when you look at them, though. You know, your, your top three is fantastic. And you know how Philly fans are. They're not patient, and they've been patient now for a while. Right, right. And the players we're talking to, they know about that. So we'll actually start with JT Real Muto. (laughs) Him and his boy Bryce Harper have been saying, let's keep adding, and we talked to him about it. Okay, JT, Philly fans are demanding. I mean that in a good way. (laughs) They want some playoff baseball. You know what helps? Looking at transactions this past week and seeing, hey, Kyle Schwarber, hey, Nick Castellanos. So what's the buzz in the clubhouse about it? Uh, it was pretty exciting this morning, for sure. Um, the day we signed Schwarber, everybody was pumped, couldn't wait. Like, we were all talking about our lineup, what we were going to do. And then same thing with Nick. As soon as we signed him this morning, everybody's buzzing. I'm excited. You know, we just can't wait to get started. You know, I'm happy with the progress, my swing and everything. But uh, still a lot of work to go. Uh, this team is uh, it's a good team. And uh, I think uh, if we take it one day at a time and then keep improving and keep working every day, uh, we'll have a lot of games like this. What does I mean? Does it do anything for you though to have success early on in spring? For me, uh, not personally, not really. Um, this is something that I know I can do as a player. Um, I've done it in the past. Um, I kind of got away from it last year, um, but it, it is um, a tiny bit gratifying that I am able to come out here and help the team put up runs and uh, play play good on defense as well. So, something I work extremely hard for. Um, it's not surprising or shocking, um, but. Um, It's another edition of the Talking Mets podcast here on this Sunday, March the 20th, 2022. Of course, I'm your host, Mike Silva. You can check me out 
all the time at the TalkingMetsPodcast.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silver Media. And you can show an Apple Podcast, Spotify, pretty much whatever podcast or service you desire. If you want to interact with me, Mike Silva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. No G, Mike Silva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. And I want to welcome in our good friends over at the Fan Sided Podcasting Network and the good folks over at RisingApple.com. A welcome in to another edition. A Grapefruit League, yes, there are Grapefruit League games edition of the Talking Mets podcast, better late than never. And to kick it off here, you heard a smorgasbord of reaction to the basically the first week of spring training. And this hybrid spring training and hot stove week, you saw that the Braves made what I thought was a peculiar move in letting Freddie Freeman walk to the Dodgers where the rich get richer. And they were worried about Steve Cohen and the Mets during the labor talks. But look, look at the Dodgers. Then, and sign Matt Olson. And then they go out and they get themselves some bullpen help with Kenley Jensen and Colin McHugh. The Phillies try to uh, continue to be, you know, all hit, no field with Nick Castellanos and Kyle Schwarber. Or at least one of those guys was at one point linked to the Mets. And, uh, you know, that really begs the question, where does that leave the Mets and how good they are? And I guess I'll start there because we have a lot to talk about. You know, Jacob deGrom throughout what I really don't think is a bombshell about his future with the Mets this past week. I already got into Lindor and Cano last week. I know they spoke to the media. You can listen to last week's show about that. I'm not going to get into the importance of Lindor's year, and I, I really don't care about Cano apologizing. If you need to find out what you, you know, here's what I'll just say. If you need to find out what you how you tell your kids about cheating through either this show or a sports writer, you got more problems than I can help you with. Let me put it to you that way. There may be a, the first thunderbolt that this team has faced. It's one that I guess is kind of preventable. I'll get to it later. It's a hot potato. It's something I'd rather not talk about, but it's here, so I'll get to that. But but first, let's kick it off here with the New York Mets and even after an offseason where they signed maybe arguably the best pitcher on the market, depending on how you look at him in terms of age and whatnot, maybe you believe that was Robbie Ray, maybe Kevin Gosman, but I think it's hard to argue. And where they went and had their Black Friday shopping spree with Eduardo Escobar, Marcana, Starling Marte, even despite the good feeling around this team and all the spending that's gone on, I think this week was the first damper that the fans had, and I got that. I think part of that was that they expected more. I think they expected them to go out and get another bat, and I know there's still some clamoring for Michael Conforto. And I, as much as, look, I, I, Andy Martino's been saying the Mets are going to be opportunistic, I still feel like they're kind of lingering in this whole thing, trying to see where that market goes and to see what kind of short-term pillow contract Conforto may uh, get, you know, with Scott Boris as his agent, usually every time we think Boris can't get a deal, he finds a deal somewhere and a better deal than you could imagine. You know, the Mets 40-man roster is full. I mean, it's not even right on Mets.com. I think Travis Blankenhorn, who's a, now off of it in a minor league contract, is still on there. So if they're going to sign a Conforto, and, and obviously they could take someone off, they're going to need to make a move. I don't know what what's going on there. And, I, and based on what Billy Epler said, that's not going to happen. Now, I think that everybody expected them to be a little bit more in on the Andrew Chafin, Brad Hand market, lefty relievers. Uh, Chafin's especially because he's one of the better ones, if not the best. 
that was left on the market can get lefties and righties out. And instead, the Mets have gone the minor league deal route, something that we were curious about and I had talked about all winter uh, where they went with Chase and Shreve, who I really liked during the pandemic season. They have uh, Alex Claudio still as a non-roster invitee. I know Tony Watson's still out there. I've seen some uh, chatter. Our friends over at Mets Fix wonder if the Mets could, with the Reds doing some sort of fire sale, could they bring back Justin Wilson? Not a bad idea. I know Wilson had an awful year with the Yankees and was somewhat better with the Reds. And and uh, I'm not sure if there was an injury there or what happened, but uh, Justin Wilson, someone that has a, a pretty good resume and, and had some a couple of good years here. You know, after them not really going out and spending in the left-handed free agent market and, and really essentially telling the public that they're done on the offensive side, what you really have to look for all this spring is, you know, which one of these non-roster invitees uh, could sneak their way in the roster? What young pitchers out of the bullpen could make an impact this year, if not opening day at some point? Uh, the roster's pretty much set. So I know it begs the question, you know, we did that whole, you know, talking Mets math earlier in the offseason where we took the average wins above replacement from fan graphs and saw how the Mets fared. It was very unscientific. It wasn't going to get any of us jobs in a front office in Major League Baseball. But if you want to go back to that and really look, you know, look, the Braves wound up uh, between Matt Olson and Kenley Jansen and Colin McHugh, they probably added about, I don't know, on the wins above replacement scale, uh, they probably added about six, seven wins uh, into that. And the Dodgers added another four or five wins with Freddie Freeman, and the Phillies probably added another four to five wins with Castellanos and Schwarber. Now, the Mets added another three from where we were earlier in the offseason with Chris Bassett. But when it's all said and done, if you want to just look at it mathematically, not much has really changed. I think the Braves and the uh, the Mets are right there neck and neck. I think maybe the Phillies close the gap a little bit. And maybe you could argue they're right there as well. Uh, the Dodgers continue to be way better than everybody else in the competition. So we're, we're you know on the brew you know we haven't really talked about the Brewers, but the Brewers fared better than everybody back when we did their uh, you know the their wins above replacement from last year. They were actually better than the Mets and the Braves, and they've been one of those tiny, those kind of quiet, good teams over the last few years. So, you know, what you can say is this week that maybe the NL East, which went from the Mets and the Braves and maybe the Phillies into what potentially could be a three-team dogfight, and, you know, there's nothing really wrong with any of that. What really amazes me is that they spent 100 days, the owners, fighting mainly over the competitive balance tax. I mean, we talked about it for a couple of weeks when we were talking about the the lockout and what have you, and all that kept coming up was the competitive balance tax and how they didn't want to raise it, and they were trying to create basically a Steve Cohen tax and what have you, and the thing goes up, and what happens? Guys like John Middleton, who just a year ago were crying poverty, now we're spending money. So sometimes you just scratch your head about this league and what have you. But rather than worry about what the Dodgers did or the Braves have done and the Phillies and start to panic about the Mets signing Conforto, I think we got to put the hot stove, I want this portion of this season to bed right now. Because the next time you're really going to talk about that is when you get into the what does this team need as you head to the trading deadline phase. And we're nowhere near that. We're in the let's warm up and get the body moving phase. Let's see what kind of team you have here phase. Right now. 
What really I look at the Mets, and you heard the final clip on that smorgasbord. You heard the commentary about Freeman and Olsen and the Phillies and the Braves bullpen. But then you heard Dom Smith, who made a pretty bold, bold proclamation earlier in the week where he, he feels he could get back to that 2020 shortened season Dom Smith and maybe have a 25-homer campaign. Started off well, you know, had a good inter-squad uh, game against Max Scherzer the other day, and then hits a home run in the Grapefruit League opener. Dom Smith really is a synopsis of what really needs to go right with the Mets because we all focus on all the, you know, Robinson Cano and the PEDs, and, and yeah, Robbie Cano is a big part of this team, but I'm putting Robbie Cano as a bonus. He wasn't even here last year. When you look at a Mets team, a Mets team that was the worst at times in baseball, or right down there with borderline anemic teams that had no names up and down the lineup, like the Pittsburgh Pirates, you know, scoring in that kind of neighborhood. When you look at that and you say, why? You know, you could blame Lindor and his tough New York start, and maybe James McCann reverted back to pre-White Sox James McCann for the most part, and the injuries that allowed guys like Jonathan Villar and Kevin Pillar to get more time than necessary because guys like Brandon Nimmo did, you know, didn't, didn't stay on the field. And we all know how badly Conforto struggled and guys like Billy McKinney had to sub in. But when it really is all said and done, Jeff McNeil, Dom Smith, and J.D. Davis, who were all big parts in some way, shape, or form of the second half of 2019 renaissance that the team had and the pandemic-shortened team that averaged over five runs a game. Those three guys not performing last year and the need for those guys to return to what you expect them to be is critical to this team. Now, I am not going to go into this season and look at this team and say against these other opponents that the Mets are a team that's going to be led by offense because I can't say that to be true because right now, I don't know exactly what I'm going to get out of everybody in that lineup. The newcomers, you know, you're going to assume Marte and Canna and Escobar will play to norms. But look at the guys that we had already in there. You know, what version of Lindor are you going to get? More the pre-2019 Lindor. The only one you really know what you're going to get who's been fairly consistent since he came up as a rookie is Pete Alonzo. Because you just don't know. You know, newcomers coming into a uniform, you don't know. Lindor... Big question mark in the sense of not that he's not going to produce, he's going to produce, but you know we don't know if you're getting a $35 million a year production. James McCann, uh, he's a, a good catch-and-throw guy who maybe could pop a home run. You're expecting a little bit better offense, but that's not where you're going to uh, focus in on. And then you have a DH who's you know nearing 40 years old, around 40 years old, and Robbie Cano. And uh, you know he's coming off of, he hasn't really played competitively in two years. So you're relying on these th- uh, uh, three guys, and you say, Michael, that's awful. These guys were all on the trading block. Well, let me tell you something. Jeff McNeil had a couple of years in 19 and 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 maybe a half a year, if you want to, you know, even 18 when he came up at the end of the uh, year, the second half of that year. He had about two seasons, maybe, if you want to count the half and the half, of really elite production, and it was right up there with some of the best second basemen in baseball. You heard, you heard a clip earlier in the offseason where Brian Kenny had him up there. He was in the top five. I mean, I think only uh, Mookie Betts had a higher batting average than he going into the 2021 season. Here's a guy that at times was a Rod Carew and at times was you know Daniel Murphy, the Washington Nationals version with power. I mean, Dom Smith was a top 10 offensive run creator in the pandemic-shortened 60-game season. Now, that's only 60 games, 
but it wasn't a 15-game two-week stretch, and he certainly had a nice run there at times in 2019 as a pinch hitter in a very limited role. And by the way, don't forget the second half of 2019, J.D. Davis was a top 15 offensive player. He was a big reason, big reason, especially the way he crushed lefties. Guys like Patrick Corbin, big hit uh, to beat the Indians off of Brad Hand, a future Met. Yeah, I know that basically the guys, you know, except for McNeil, who, who's pretty good defensively. I don't think he gets enough credit for his defense. The other two really don't have a position and are not good defensive players. At least Dom's not. In the, I don't think, well, Dom's made himself to a decent outfielder. Let me be fair to Dom. Dom's made himself to a decent outfielder. So when you start to look at the 2022 New York Mets and you start to worry about what they don't have, here's the bottom line. A lot of what they are going to achieve is clearly going to be that thing I told you we're not going to talk about his health. They're going to be built on two aces, one and one A. That's the foundation. That's what they're all about. Those two guys stay healthy and pitch like we know they can pitch in an elite way. It's going to be a fun year. We know the bullpen's going to be shaky, but somehow I think that's not going to eventually undo them. That's fixable. Can they score enough runs to me? is really going to be the decider whether they're a very elite team or a team that's being carried to kind of sneak into the playoffs in some capacity by two aces. Because once they get into the tournament, I mean, they were they were a dangerous tournament team last year with DeGrom in a short series. This year, with two of these guys? So you're in a five-game set, you're going to face DeGrom Scherzer three times. And maybe one of those times... One of those guys is going to come out of the bullpen if it's a five-game set. That's a really tough series to win. Now, you stretch it out to seven games, and you start to get into Bassett, and then you know eventually you have to have a fourth starter, whether that be Taiwan Walker or Carlos Carrasco. I don't know about the back end of the rotation. But the bottom line is you don't have to score a hell of a lot of runs in the postseason to win with those kind of guys on the mound. Now, in the regular season, you got to be able to put away and have some easy Ws. That was actually one of the things I think burnt out that bullpen last year is they just couldn't score any darn runs. And when they went on that nice stretch, which helped them stay in first place for over three months, they still had to beat teams and bad teams at times with very tight to the vest games that required them to go and use Edwin Diaz and Aaron Loop and some of their key bullpen arms. Instead of, you know, you got a five-run lead, can't you just go to the the brigade that is, uh, you know, the lower leverage guys, the Miguel Castro guys? So I'm not going to sit here and bemoan what the competition has done and, and what the Mets haven't, because I think Mets fans are kind of getting a little silly with the spending. There is a limit, and I, I think Steve Cohen will go over the 290, but I also think he's going to do it for the right player. Maybe not Brad Hand, not you know Andrew Chafin. It's clearly they don't feel that the difference in guys like that is good enough for them to go out and stretch the budget. But, you know, they're going to do it when it makes sense. And that might be during the, the regular season. Remember, there's still going to be moves that have to be made during the regular season. I know everybody says prospects this, prospects that. You just don't know what's available. You don't know. Now, what I find interesting, and it has nothing to do with the Mets, is what the Braves did. Now, they've improved their bullpen. And, and, and if you look at the Braves and the Phillies, if Wheeler, who's already kind of not going to maybe start the season, so that Wheeler contract, and I don't wish any ill on him, Wheeler's already starting to show the things I, I was concerned about by maybe you know feeling the effects of a very heavy workload and a very successful workload from 2021. But 
you know, you have the Phillies who have two really good starters in Nola and, and Wheeler and, and a shaky bullpen. Um, you've got the Braves who have some, you know, Charlie Morton, who I like a lot and have some really good top of the rotation starters and a really good bullpen and a good offense. But I am shocked that when they sign an Olsen, a Matt Olsen, who's really had one elite year in the realm of what Freddie Freeman has done pretty consistently for the last five, six, seven years, when they don't even make an effort for Freeman and go after Olsen and give up four top prospects for Olsen and let a iconic Brave walk with what it sounds like not much of an effort. Not our problem here on the Talking Events podcast. But it goes to show you everything that's wrong with today's baseball, where it's almost fantasy baseball plug-and-play. Because let's face it, you start to look at the numbers and the age and all the analytics of it, you say to yourself, well, that makes tons of sense. They're getting a younger version of Freddie Freeman. They're plugging in a guy who's in his, in his prime, who's ready to explode, which we don't know because he's really only had one year last year in Oakland, by the way, in front of nobody. Not that Atlanta's the toughest sports town, but you get my point. And you, re- you basically took an iconic player, one of the toughest outs, maybe the toughest out in the entire league. I mean, we've saw enough of Freddie Freeman over here at, uh, on this show to know that if there's two outs and the base is loaded and it's a one-run game, you're ahead, and your closer is on the mound, is Freddie Freeman the guy you want up there? Do you really want to face him? Because he's going to give you a good at-bat, he's going to be a tough out, and he's going to scare the you-know-what out of you while you're watching it. I'm not so sure. Now, I haven't seen a lot of Matt Olson day in and day out. He's out on the West Coast. The games are late. American League. So talk to me, you know, three, four months from now after Matt Olson beats the Mets a couple times. Maybe I'll have to play this clip and have egg on my face. But uh, somehow I think that move is in favor of the Mets, I have to tell you. And it really is a synopsis where the soul of the game and the marketing and the synergy of what it means to be a a baseball fan that roots for the laundry, where when you take away those kind of players and just interchange them with a new face, something tells me that that's just not what it's all about. Something tells me, and look, maybe it doesn't matter, but if that was New York and that were the Mets or the Yankees and this guy's coming in replacing the kind of player Freddie Freeman uh, was for the Braves, boy, you could imagine the pressure that he's under. He gets off to a 2.15 start. He has the kind of season that he's had where he was at one point a league average hitter, maybe slightly below. I wouldn't want to be Matt Olson in that situation. So I don't know how that's going to work out for the Mets, but I do know this. Out of all the teams in the National League East, the Braves are the most complete right now, at least on paper. And with the Dodgers, um, the rich get richer. I mean, if they, they complain about Steve Cohen. Look at the Dodgers. And that's the class of the National League. That's the team that has become the modern-day Yankees. Now, maybe they don't have the three straight World Series in the four and five years. They only have one, and they have the one in the shortened season. But the Dodgers, with their money and their system and their player development, have figured it out in a way that even I think the Yankees haven't over the course of the last two decades. Now, you could say, well, the Yankees in the late 90s won the championships. Yeah, they did. But it goes to show you, and it goes back to what Billy Epler said in his first introductory press conference, how, what is it, even the best of teams have like a 15 to 17% chance of winning the championship. But that's the class of the league. That's who the Mets are aspiring to be. That's why they're beefing up their analytics department. That's why they're trying their best to you know, continue to scout and, and draft the best players. And while they're doing it, they're trying to use whatever assets they have to build the big league roster and spend money in a big way 
to uh, to try to close that gap while they try to figure out how to be the Dodgers. That's the, the gold standard. And then they have the Braves. And guess what? It's It makes for good baseball. What, what did I say what I thought the Mets were back in January? We're in the midst of the lockout, and we did that Mets math show. Not Mets math, the... the, the, the 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 you know the the advanced look at these teams with our really simple back of the paper bag math. So the Mets are in the mix with everybody else. I don't think they're a prohibitive favorite. I don't think they're far off. I think that it is, they're in the muck. And when I say in the muck, I don't mean the muck with everybody in the in the middle of the, uh, of the league, but with the contending teams. I think they're right in there, and I think they're a playoff contender. Can I give them the NL East? I don't know if I'd pick them on paper. I don't know if I would pick them on paper, and I'm not sure that the Mets have to be the favorites because I think after all that's gone on, I think it's good for this team to kind of go out there and, and and maybe have a little chip on their shoulder with this new group, with this new manager, and, uh, and prove to everybody that they're not all hype and prove that that yoke that we've talked about many, many, many times, that yoke of failure that always seems to uh, encompass anybody who comes in here with even the best of intentions – uh, that 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 has evaporated. They could grab that yoke and break it into pieces. So we know what the big big keys are here. There's a lot of keys to this Mets team, but those three guys, those guys that had showed so much promise in 2019 and 2020, that made me so confident that they were going to average five runs a game going into last season, who all disappointed for a variety of reasons, whether it be the analytics getting in their head or injuries. Those guys are huge, and if those guys could hit like they have in the past in a big enough sample size where I don't think it's just a fluke, especially when you talk about McNeil, well, you know what? I'm not so worried about Robbie Cano coming in back because I think Robbie Cano is going to hit anyway, but that Mets lineup becomes exponentially scarier than it was last year, and that didn't require Kyle Schwaber signing. That didn't require bringing back Michael Conforto. That didn't require them getting in on Nick Castellanos. Just simply require those guys being healthy and being who we think that they were going into the 2021 season now a year later. So anyway, let's take a quick break. Jacob DeGrom threw what some are going to say is a bombshell, but if you were paying attention all along over the last couple of years, you knew this was coming. And I think it's a good sign. I think it's a good thing that he's talking about opting out because it shows you how healthy he thinks he is. And if you didn't listen, he's a darn confident guy. We'll talk about that more right after this. Jake, you, you threw as hard as ever last year. Are you confident you can throw consistently that hard and stay healthy throughout a season? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> Jake, uh, Steve Cohen said yesterday it, it seems like he wants to let the season play out with you. You have the opt-out and the contract. Does that sound like a good plan to you? To Yeah, you know, that's uh, that's the plan. Um, you know, I won't take any more on this, but that's the business side of baseball. And as a player, you build in opt-outs, and um, that's the business side. Of it. But for me, I don't want that to be any distraction. Like I said, I'm excited about this team. And I've said it before, love being a Met. I think it would be really cool to be one for my entire career. But, um, you know, the plan is to um, exercise that option and, and be in constant contact in the offseason with the Mets and, and uh, Steve Cohen in the front office. And what did you think of the contract Scherzer got? And is that something? Yeah, that yeah, for? it's exciting. You know, like I said, to see what ownership's doing and and going and getting guys. This is going to be an exciting place to be. All right, we're back. So you're all going to start freaking out. I saw it already. I already saw the silliness. 
Now, I don't listen to WFEM, but I saw well, the Yankees are gearing up for uh, a run at the Grom. How about the Yankees don't try to trade and free up money for the Minnesota Twins so the Twins could sign Carlos Correa? How about they don't do that, and then they worry about signing DeGrom? But in all seriousness, I think the fact that DeGrom is opting out should not be a surprise. Once he changed agencies and left CAA for, I think, it's the VC group where he's on, I think he announced that a year, a year and a half ago, maybe during the pandemic season. I can't remember. I think everybody knew he was going to gear in for that opt-out. And DeGrom's not a dumb guy. He saw the money being thrown around with someone like Max Scherzer, and he looked at his current contract, and if there's a club option and he winds up opting in and doesn't use his opt-out, and the Mets exercise the, their option in a couple of years, uh, compared to Max Scherzer, who has three years and, what, about 130 $140,000, $140 million, he's probably leaving $30, $40 million on the table. And quite honestly, uh, at the age of 35, 36, although players are still – you know, elite, and, and if they can pitch into their late 30s, you've seen it happen. You see Justin Verlander doing it. Uh, they can still make money. I think from a standpoint of business, it makes all the sense in the world that he is going to opt out. Now, it scares a lot of Mets fans, I know, and, and obviously, look, I just ran quickly during the break, just averaged out his numbers since uh, 2018 when he won his first Cy Young Award. He's got an ERA plus of 188. I mean, that's insane. When you think about it, an ERA plus of 188. I can't find a period in. Now, here's a guy that a statue is going to be unveiled in front of the ballpark on April 15th. Jackie Robinson Day, the Mets are going to unveil Tom Seaver's statue in front of City Field. Long overdue. And he won 300 games and a championship. Couple things that the, one, DeGrom may do. Win the championship, the other he will not. He will not win 300 games unless he pitches at least 70, and that's not going to happen. And I'm not saying he's better than Seaver. I'm not trying to uh, make that crazy statement. What I'm saying is I can't even see a period of dominance uh, that Seaver had where he had a 188 ERA plus over uh, a span of, of, uh, of time. I mean, you're going from 2018 to 2021. You know, whip under one. It's it's crazy. I mean, the guy is uh, you know striking and you know, walking a couple batters a game, striking out nearly twelve per game. I mean, maybe you can say Sandy Koufax those final couple of years is right up there, uh, right before he retired. So you know how elite Degrom is, and you know coming in, you've heard about the competitiveness and how Scherzer takes care of himself. Knowing that, knowing how he basically told everybody in a nonchalant way, yeah, I could continue to throw hard. And he's gotten a clean bill of health because a guy that doesn't have a clean bill of health is not confidently out there talking about an opt-out because there's no benefit for him if he's got a tear in his elbow to be talking about opting out of a contract that he's guaranteed because then he's leaving a lot of money, more money on the table than he can even imagine. Knowing that, that should excite the heck out of you guys because the bedrock, as I said in the previous statement, the bedrock of the 2022 Mets, the Mets team that we're all going to be looking at and rooting for this year, uh, that's going to be the one in, one in one a punch. That is the foundation. If those two guys are not themselves, not healthy, or anything less than we expect, and when the, in the case of Degrom, the one concern I have is he was so good last year. He was so minuscule with how he had an ERA of one point oh eight, Bob Gibson esque. How when he went out there, he just didn't give up any runs. Even when there was like I think there was a game in San Diego where they, he got in a little bit of trouble. Maybe it was bases loaded, nobody out. 
I was supremely confident, as you guys were, that he'd find a way out of it, and he did. To meet that bar, it's like the conversation I had a couple of years back after he won that Cy Young, and he was so good, and now both he and Peter Alonso were coming off these great years in 2018 and 2019. I said, you know, Doc Gooden was on this show and talked about how everything he did after that dynamic 1985 season always was paled in comparison. And to a certain degree, I worry about that with DeGrom, where he goes out there and has an ERA of 2-3-0 and, and wins 18 games. I might say, well, he's not as dominant. Uh, something not to really worry about now. But these guys are just so important to this, this team. If they're not who they are and who we expect them to be, then I don't know what to expect out of the 2022 Mets, even if they average five runs a game, even if the bullpen is really good. You need these two guys. They are built on the dynamic one-two punch of these two starters. That if you could get into that tournament, into that postseason, last year they, I kept I said it all the time when they were going through their you know, replacements period, and I said, you know, don't worry about... Look, they'll figure out a way to score runs eventually. They didn't. They kind of did, but not really. They got Baez. That changed a lot. I said, but they get into that tournament, nobody's going to want to face them. And guess what? That goes doubly for this year. And if you got a DeGrom on an opt-out, a guy that you know is supremely confident about his health after not pitching the entire second half of last year, you have that in your uh, ace in your hole, quite literally. Wow. That's uh, that's an exciting thing for Mets fans to think about. Now, I know it's hard, the history of the Mets is. If it's too good to be true, then it really is. That's kind of where a lot of you guys are going to. But you know what? Uh, I hate to invoke you know some kind of like higher being here, but after looking at that Pete Alonso car wreck from earlier in the week, you don't think that maybe the Mets are owed? I hate to make light of somebody else's tragic, you know, real-life situation. You don't think the Mets are owed? a little good karma in the baseball bank with these two big aces, and you get into that postseason series, the Grom, Scherzer, and then maybe one of them being able to pitch in, a, in relief in a decisive game, kind of like Noah Syndergaard did against the Dodgers in 2015, that should have you salivate. So ignore the rest of the year, the, oh, my God, he doesn't like being here, and he's upset about the dysfunction, and he... Oh, you know, he's not really feeling Buck Showalter. I can see the articles now. And, uh, you know, Steve Cohen didn't show him enough love when he went out and gave uh, Lindor that contract. Or, oh, he's still ticked off that he signed much below market value when Brody Van Wagenen was the GM and his former agent, you know, kind of bait and switched him. Well, you know, he signed that contract knowingly. Uh, he signed that contract as an adult. There was no one strong-armed him. Ignore all those articles because th- there'll be fillers at some point. The the media will love to spend time gaslighting you and scaring you. Crisis is how they make their their money and how they manage their news cycle, whether it's in sports or politics. It all doesn't matter. What it what does matter is that DeGrom's going to go out there, pitch at an elite level, at an elite level we may have never seen in a Mets uniform, and that includes uh, Tom Terrific. And if that happens, along with the guy they brought in that's already on a Hall of Fame track and probably already a Hall of Famer, that's an exciting one-two punch. That's the bedrock of the 2022 Mets. That's where everything is going to emanate from. And uh, that, that's going to make this year a hell of a lot of fun to watch. And when you get to the postseason, watch out. All right, let's take a quick break. When we return, what are some of the guys? I know it's only a couple of games into spring training. Who are some of the guys that I'm keeping an eye on that are lesser known that may have a chance to make the roster? We'll talk about that and more right after this. Do you ever wonder if Keith Hernandez is worthy of Hall of Fame consideration? Listen to Bob Klappish of the record describe the player Keith Hernandez was 
while he covered him during the 1980s. I mean, he's one of those players who's greater than the sum of his parts, whose, whose numbers don't really tell the story about how he inspired the rest of the team. Just, I mean, he's one of those guys who just made the people around him better. Sort of like this John Wayne character. Uh, because after the seventh inning, it was really hard to get him out. They used to say the same thing about Yogi Bear. You couldn't get him out when it really mattered. He somehow found another gear. And Keith had this focus and this determination, this fierce determination to not get beat by an opposing pitcher. He took that personally. He hated striking out. Hated it. It was always a great sort of surprise to him that he walked more often than he struck out until 1989 when he started his decline. But until then, man, I mean, he had an incredible eye. His, his, walk, his walk to plate appearance ratio was, was incredible. And he just had that late-inning thing about him that made the, mess, the rest of the Mets really, really good. Listen to this and more at www.talkingmetspodcast.com. All right, we're back. So early spring training, only a couple of games in. Notice I haven't talked about any results, anything. I'm not going to get into spring training wins and losses. Forget about it. It's not going to happen. But... I've already started to kind of build out the roster in my mind, and I think we'll have to develop this a little bit further. But by and large, uh, I think short of an injury of any kind of magnitude or another roster move, which I didn't think it was coming on the offensive side, and Billy Epler pretty much said that much, uh, the Mets' offensive side, and I think you had a 26-man roster. I'm assuming they're not going to expand the roster to 28, or, or we haven't heard anything like that. Things are fluid, of course. That the Mets' 13-man offensive side of the ball is set, and you can look at it. They got McCann and Thomas Nito at catcher. That's two. Pete Alonso at first is three. You got Robbie Cano, four. J.D. Davis, five. Eduardo Escobar, six. Luis Guillermo off the bench, seven. Lindor at short is eight on the roster. Jeff McNeil's nine, second base. Mark Canna is 10. Uh, Starling Marte's 11. I know he's got the oblique, but it sounds like he'll be ready for our opening day. Brandon Nimmo's 12, Dom Smith is 13. So there's your 13 offensive players. That's done. So that, you know, that pretty much uh, does that. So guys like uh, Travis Janikowski, local Stony Brook guy, and this interesting guy who's one of the guys, Nick Plummer, a guy that from the, the you know St. Louis, the outfielder, on base machine with some pop. Those are guys who are on the outside looking in. Looks like they have options, and uh, Janikowski is a uh, minor league signing, but it looks from what I read here on Roster Resource Plumber as options. So there you go. Where it gets interesting and where you got to watch a lot of what's going to happen this spring is on the pitching side. So you, you assume that you got the five starters, right? Whether Taiwan Walker and Carrasco, it looks like Walker's the one that there's a little bit up in the air about opening day because of uh, the knee surgery. You're going to have five starters. That leaves you with eight relievers. So I don't care if McGill slides for Walker, Walker goes to the DL, I don't care. We'll just assume one or the other. And if Walker's on the roster, McGill's going down to AAA. And if Walker's on the DL, McGill makes the roster. I, I think McGill makes it, and, and I know it's only one game, but Peterson, again, David Peterson, looks, look, to me, looks like uh, for a filler. I've, I've been kind of, I like his moxie, but I've always been eh. He disappointed me a ton last year, even before the... Uh, uh, the Liz Frack injury, the foot injury. So you've got, um, so your starters are set. DeGrom, Scherzer, Bassett, Walker slash somebody else, and Carrasco, and then you have your depth in the minor leagues from there. So we'll leave those guys aside. Now the bullpen. 
So now who are your eight out of the bullpen? And this is where options come into play. And maybe not the best eight come north because you got to see what you got. So you got Castro's one, Edwin Diaz two, Seth Lugo three, Trevor May four, Adam Ottavino five. Okay. And then who are the final three? Now, Trevor Williams and Sean Reed Foley, six and seven, do not have options. I think Williams, because he's been around, needs permission to go down to the minor leagues. So he's kind of in the situation, similar situation that we talked about where Steve Traxel was. So if he has a bad spring, maybe that happens. But I see Williams as a guy they brought in, especially early in the year. He and Reed Foley are guys that last year when they, the starters couldn't go deep, they were able to bring him in and go multiple innings and bridge gaps. Now, do you need both of them? Not sure. Now, you have no lefty really yet unless you put a guy like Alex Claudio or Jason Strieve on the roster, and then that's where your number eight guy goes. And that's where you probably are going to be at because when I start to look at, and I'm going to bring it up here while we're on the air, the Yancy Diaz of the world and the Jake Reeds, who I like Jake Reed a lot, and even Drew Smith, who still has options, you know, even if those guys pitch lights out, I think Drew Smith has got a lot of potential. Um, it might behoove the Mets to start with some of these guys that do not have options and start the season to see what they got there because, A, you could lose them. Less likely to lose them at the last week of spring training, especially with the, you know, shuffle that's going on with the shortened spring and everything that's going on. But certainly guys like Sean Reed Foley, Jake Reed, Drew Smith, Trevor Williams. Uh, Jordan Yamamoto's already been sent down as, as well as the Pucky. They're going to be depth. Yancy Diaz. These are all guys, and I know that there's some uh, uh, young pitchers that are uh, you know, potentially going to be depth, like Jose Buto. They're not going to make the team. Eric Orzi, who's a, a reliever that pitched yesterday. I hope I'm saying his name right. Orzi, right? Eric Orzi. Is it Orzi? Eric Orzi Mets. I'm going to tell you, because you guys are all going to get on my case if I don't. See, they don't even tell me. Eric Orzi. I think it's Orzi. Is it Orz, Orzi? I don't know. You guys can let me know. Mike Silva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. No G. Let me know uh, if I said it right. So I'm looking at those guys. It's a lot of interesting positional battles. But on the offensive side, you know, obviously you have Khalil Lee, who we saw a little bit last year, and who was a top prospect with Kansas City, who the Mets uh, dealt for last year. But Nick Plummer is someone interesting. Now, Nick Plummer was a guy they they – they, they signed in the offseason, a minor league guy. They put him on the 40-man roster. He's a guy that's an on-base machine in five minor league seasons. He's only 24 years old. He's a 364 on-base percentage. In 2021, through a couple of levels, uh, he had an on-base percentage well over 400. Um, guy strikes out a bit but walks a lot, has a little bit of pop, some speed, can play. And let's see, is he playing center field? Looks like he could play all three outfield positions. Um you know, hit a home run yesterday. So there's a guy on the offensive side that I'm looking for. Now, I don't see how there's a place for him, but I'm definitely going to be watching him because if you look at it, you know, who's going to be the first one to get called up, especially if you have, you know, Nemo's got an injury history. Now, Marte with the oblique, who knows what happens with JD or Cano, you know, with the DH position. And if those guys are hurt or need some time. You know, he might be one of the first guys called up. So he, Khalil Lee, Lee, guys like that. Now, you think Lee might have a bit of an advantage as a top prospect, but we'll see. You know, I even go to the non-roster section of um, <laughs> Mets.com. They don't even have really updated. <laughs> i got to tell you. Things are so screwed up. Um, 
But I, I see it here. Um, Anthony DeComo tweeted it out. Um, I don't see anybody else really on that non-roster invitee. I mean, I'm really not going to pay attention to Matt Reynolds. Of course, Jake Magnum, one of the Mets' prospects, is uh, you know not on the 40-man. you got to really go with guys who have a realistic shot at the 40-man. And, and the, the thing is, a Chase and Shreve or even Alex Claudio, I mean, they're going to have to uh, be put on the 40-man roster. So, yeah, you could put Joey Lucchese on the 60-day DL, and that'll probably open one up, and I think that's where it'll go. But... Uh, I don't know. There's there's not as much room. I mean, you know, you'd have to see where where that all goes. I think they already removed Antonio Santos off of it. Uh, that's who they picked up from Colorado. I got to tell you, they have not updated their forty man very well on Mets.com. Um, so it's possible the Mets have more than one spot on the roster, but right now it's pretty tight. And uh, you know, I'm I'm continuing to look and see where. You know, if anything goes on, you know, it's the, one of those spring training shows where you still have to continue to see, did the Mets make a signing? Did anybody make a signing? That kind of thing. So, anyway, um, those are the guys that I'll be looking at. You know, I'm probably going to reach out to some of our, our friends that cover the team that are down in Port St. Lucie. Maybe they could give us a take on uh, on sleepers. But those are some of my sleepers right now. And I think, and I'm just warning everybody, I think that you're going to see some guys go north uh, even if they don't have as good of a spring, because let's face it, options matter. And if you have options, use it. And you don't want to just throw away pitching depth, especially on a team that has on the back end of the rotation already one guy that's iffy. You don't want to see a Sean Reed Foley or Trevor Williams, somebody like that, get sent down, not make it through waivers, and then they wind up on another team. And, and you're looking for a similar type of guy. And either you have to trade for him. Or you got to go out and get some kind of filler that that quite simply doesn't, uh, you know, a Robert Stock type that quite simply doesn't uh, cut the mustard. All right, let's take a quick break. When I come back, we'll wrap up. But there's one other thing when I wrap up that's in play, and it's a major thunderbolt. I want to clear up some of the, I think, confusion about what is and isn't true. And I'll give you as fair of a take on it as possible because I know that you guys have been waiting for this one. And I'm... Uh, if this goes into the whole Jared Porter off the field, things that I really rather not talk about. You're listening to the Talking Mets podcast. We'll be back with more right after this. The Talking Mets podcast is available on many outlets, but the most popular is Apple Podcast. Hi, I'm Mike Silva, the host of the Talking Mets podcast, and I encourage you to leave a review about the program on Apple. Just rate it one to five stars, hopefully a five, because why wouldn't you? And then if you have time, leave a review. It helps the podcast continue to grow and encourages others to take a listen. You can also email me at mikesilva at talkingmetspodcast.com. No G, talkingmetspodcast.com. Hope to hear from you soon and enjoy the rest of the show. All right, we're back. Final thoughts. And before I wrap up here, I know that you know some people have tweeted at me and, and one of the stories that got a little bit of traction and is kind of getting pushed to the side and no big deal, it'll be figured out. And I'm kind of... And look, here, I'm going to try to handle this as delicately as possible because this is a, you can't win with a conversation like this. And this goes back to this whole New York City private sector mandate that clearly, and I can't believe none of us, myself included, weren't thinking of this throughout the offseason as a big deal, especially after it went down, I think, oh, last week of December or whatnot. It's been affected in the Brooklyn Nets all season with Kyrie Irving. It is a big deal. And I found it amusing now. The media is going around. They're doing a straw poll trying to figure out who's vaccinated, who's not. It's it's This has been going on now for two years. It's the most exhausting thing I've ever seen where – uh, 
everything is HIPAA laws except for one thing. But I'm not going to get into that. And and I'm going to make this clear off the bat. I don't care if you're vaccinated. I don't care if you're not. I'm not giving my opinion on it. I'm not going to get into the whole, you know, how dangerous COVID is and whatnot. All I could tell you is there's been a lot of silly stuff that's gone on the last two years. The pandemic season being at the top of it. When I look back at some of the things with the, you know, lack of high fives, I look and say, really? That's what we thought was keeping us safe. But I'll put all that aside because I know people have strong opinions. I know that people have lost people. I'm not wanting to minimize any of it. Here's what I will say. Uh, and I'll be as down the middle as I can as possible. I'm gonna, but I will say this. I don't understand how you can keep that in place. I don't understand how it's legal. I know there's lawsuits out of the Toro College as a lawsuit. I think, uh, I think there's a real estate agency that has a lawsuit. I mean, the federal mandate got struck down through the Supreme Court, and they went through that process in the two or three months. This seems to have stagnated since early January. So I don't know where it is in the court of law. Uh, you know, having or hearing that a Randy Levine, who used to work in City Hall in the Giuliani administration, working on it, I guess, is some promise. If you're looking at it from a standpoint of it getting rescinded for the Mets and the Yankees, uh, the Major League Baseball Players Association has a collective bargaining agreement, which probably doesn't supersede city law. It's not even a law. It's a mandate. Let's, let me be clear. I shouldn't call it a law. That's my fault. It's a mandate. Mandates are not laws, and I'm not sure how illegal they are. I think that sometimes they're just – this one particularly is not touched because of the political nature of it. What I do know is this. For the Mets or Mets players to say, ah, well, you know, we'll see. A lot could happen in three weeks. Either they know something or they're not taking it seriously enough because here's what I do know. doesn't matter if you're outdoor or indoor. It's, a, it's about a business. It could be an, an office is the same as City Field, is the same as the Barclays Center, is the same as Madison Square Garden, is the same as a job site. You are a New York City company, and your employees, in this case Mets players, are employed by you. They have to be vaccinated to, to be in your office. Okay, your office is in the, in, the, in the city of New York. So that means anything in the city of New York and those five boroughs, they have to be vaccinated. Now, you want to go down and play in Orlando? You want to go play up in Buffalo? You want to play in, in Oklahoma City? It doesn't matter. That's why Kyrie Irving could play all. They have to be vaccinated. There are exemptions that you can apply for that the company can approve, not the city. The company can approve. One is a religious. Another one is a medical exemption. The burden of proof for both of those and how the company executes those and how they comply with the city mandate, that's where it gets murky. And I know this. I'm not going to get into how I know all this stuff. Okay, so it's very difficult to get an exemption. Religious exemption and the medical exemption. I don't know how many doctors are going to put it in. It's not possible. I know people who have, but it's not easy. So if the Players Association is banking on this just going away, I think they're, they're kind of banking on the wrong thing. I think there's a lot of politics involved. I think that... With a lawsuit, these potential lawsuits that we haven't heard too much about out there, that plays into it. The fact that a bunch of city workers have been uh, laid off because of it plays into it. What are you going to do, lay all these people off? And I know that they, they work for the city, so it's different. You know, if the city imposed it on their own employees, that's a different ballgame. Just like if a team or a business imposed it on their employees, that's their call. The legality of it, that's a whole different conversation. I'm not a lawyer. I, I think there's a lot of gray area on this. But I do know this. This is a problem. And you quite possibly could be staring down the barrel of a situation where the Mets are not fielding their complete team 81 times of the year. Yankees, too. Now, you could easily say, well, this is their choice, and if they just go get themselves a vaccination, it's done and over with. And you'd be right. 
I think that there's a lot more at play here, and it'll be very. I think this is going to be a fascinating thing that's going to really crop up as we get closer to opening day. Because I do not think it'll be rescinded by opening day. I think there is going to be players on both the Mets and the Yankees that are not going to be eligible to play at home. I think it's going to become a thing. I think these guys are going to become a target of the media. I think it's going to be bigger names than you think. But I don't think it'll be as many as you think because I think as you get closer to it, somewhere, somehow, if not through some kind of exemption, but through some kind of coercion by their teammates or what have you, they're going to find a way to get it done because I don't think anybody on either one of these teams wants to be in a situation like Kyrie Irving where they're pretty much sitting out half the season. And in the case of the Yankees, more because they got to go to Toronto, which is a whole, look, that's another country. That's a whole other ball of wax. You know, part of me would love to see the Mets pick up and go play in Buffalo and say, screw you guys, because I think this is so silly. I mean, there's really nothing medically or scientific about it anymore after everything else goes into it. It's just a way to force people to get something. It's, it's, it's big pharma lobby. Let's, let's call it what it is. That's really what they're, they're doing at this point. There's no, there's no safety factor here anymore. I mean, it's as silly as them, you know, limiting trip. You know, it's as silly as them saying the ghost runner in extra innings was for health and safety. It never was. It was to keep the game going along. It was an incubator. And they're proving that now because they're thinking about bringing it back. So this could be, listen, you could be going out there and you could say to yourself, and I don't know if Nick Plummer is, but you could say maybe Brandon Nimmo's not. We don't know. And at home games, Brandon Nimmo's not going to be available. And maybe DeGrom's not available. I mean, you don't know. And you could see less than the Mets' best players. Now, would these guys be willing to lose service time and money for their beliefs on something like this? It'll be real interesting to see. It stinks that they have to be in that position, and I think it's wrong, um, especially for this type of thing, because it's only for one type of vaccination. It's like they've picked on this one. And, uh, you know, I could get into many reasons why. But I think for anybody to believe that this will just go away or that it'll be absolved because they'll figure it out before opening day or that it's a shoe in that players, well, they, they're going to have to do it to betterment the team. I think all those are wrong. Here's what I will say. Keep an eye on this because this become a really big story. And I think what will be interesting is those that decide not to and are not participating in the games, even if it's only for a short period of time as we get into the spring, into the summer, Maybe it's only temporary with, you know, eventually this becoming fluid and potentially being lifted at some point, you would think, or being lifted because it's found to not be legal, the mandate not to be legal. Um, I think it'll be a really interesting story. Now, I know a lot of people want me to go in and rant and rave and yell and scream. Look, I think both sides could really have a, a valid take here. I know some people have strong opinions about COVID and what it did and people who don't get vaccinated. I think there are people who did not uh, certainly have a lot of great points too. Personally, I think I hope that if you didn't, that you do something to keep yourself healthy and protected because just because you're an athlete doesn't mean that you can't get a respiratory illness. There's a lot of other factors into it. I think there's a lot of other things you can do, but that's their business, not mine. And um, what I would say is this, anyone who thinks it's just a political statement by those who haven't, uh, I could tell you that's not true. There's a lot of reasons not to. There's about 1,500 side effects in some of this stuff. So give these guys a break. There could be legitimate reasons for them not to get it. Um, and, and, and it doesn't have to be who they voted for. So in the end, I guess I'll leave you with this. Keep an eye on this story because I think it's kind of like being danced around as, yeah, this is an annoyance, but there's no but here. I personally don't think it'll be lifted by opening day. And I think players are going to have to make a decision. And I think whether it be Mets and Yankees, there's going to be players who are going to say, no, I'm not doing it. 
Because let's face it, if you do it just because you're playing in New York and you're a free agent at the end of the year and you really don't believe in it, you don't want the stuff in your body, well, you might just say, well, why am I doing this to be in New York? Now, losing service time, the money's one thing, but losing those service time days, losing 81 potential service time days, and that's where I think the lawsuit potentially come into play because now you're really violating a collective bargaining agreement. Be real interesting. This could be the whole, you know, straw that broke the camel's back in this whole mandate. It's funny that sports plays into it. And I also think, let's face it, some of the people who are in charge in government, they probably don't really like athletes. So they're not part of their 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 resistance to change it for a sport is because they don't want to they don't care about any conflict of interest, but this one it'll bother them because let's face it, they probably weren't the 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 biggest jock lovers when they were at when they were younger either let's let's call it like you, like we could say it I mean come on how many of those of the public health uh, community were uh, were playing second base for the high school team or even the Sandlot League come on let's be real here so um, I think it's a fascinating thing I, it's a it's an unfortunate thing because just as we thought we were getting away from and the Mets fans have been through so much they've been through. Um, you know, scandal, ownership change, no ownership change, one GM, two GM, three GM, off the field stuff. I mean, they're, as a fan base and me talking about it here, I'm burnt out about off the field stuff. So the fact that I even had to broach it as we go out and end this program, kind of annoying, but I wouldn't be doing my job as I come to you and give you my take on the week in Mets baseball if I didn't bring it up. And I think that's to be determined. I really do. And I and I think this is going to be a problem. And I think you're going to see somebody, and I don't think it's an insignificant player, be, be fallen to it. And it'll be really interesting how they're treated by the media. And when and if it gets solved one way or the other and they're back on the field, uh, I expect them to be covered differently. And that's a shame. It's a shame that someone's personal choice about something that really shouldn't be taken lightly you know, it's not like you're, you're, you're shooting orange juice into your body. Um, it's a shame that, that I even think that. It's a shame that that's the way I feel about how that particular player be uh, treated. I could tell you this, thing, this much. Whether they do it or they don't, they'll be treated the same on this program. They won't be judged on this program because we don't judge people based on those things. And, uh, you know, we're just here to, to, to talk baseball and to give it like it is. And I give you as balanced and as honest down the middle. And I know this segment's going to bother some people, and I'm sure it'll you know, I'll get the usual. I'm never going to listen to you again. And then they'll they'll post an Apple podcast that I'm anti-vax. I haven't told you one way or the other. I basically told you I think this is a government overreach. Um, I do think it's a tough decision for the players. I think, unfortunately, some of them are going to have to make uh, a tough decision if they want to do what's right for the team. And I don't blame them if they don't. And I do think those who decide that they're uh, not going to uh, partake in it are going to be treated unfairly by the media and, and not given a fair shake and not given their side of the story. And that stinks. But that's the world we live in. So, you know, what's next Next here on the Talking Mets podcast? Well, um, you know, look, uh, my hope is to go and reach out to some of our contacts that are down in Port St. Lucie with just a couple of games into spring training. We talked about some sleepers that we're looking at. The roster is pretty much set unless they're going to go out and make a big move for another bat like a Conforto or maybe uh, bring in another lefty reliever. But I think any reliever or any bullpen arm they look at or even a starter is going to be on a minor league deal and we already saw with a couple of guys like a Chase and Shreve who potentially, I think, in a normal offseason might have got a big league deal somewhere. Guys are going to try to sign for something and prove themselves rather than get caught without musical chairs. So I think that's where we're at as we get into our grapefruit roundup. We're hoping that you know some of this off-the-field stuff that we just talked about doesn't crop up, but I think that that's just around the corner. I think we'll hear more of that. 
And, you know, we'll continue to monitor the roster. And, and right now, it's just about getting this team ready and health. And I, like I said, you know, you just want to get through the next three weeks to April 7th opening day where nothing silly happens with some kind of freak on the field injury. And uh, I think, you know, we're going to see a, a really dynamic, interesting race in the National League East. And, and I think it's going to be fun. So, uh, you know, what happened this week, the moves that were made, really goes to show you we spent 100 days of lockout arguing over something that these guys themselves, I don't know, really believed in. Uh, because you argue over a competitive debt balance tax not going up, and then you wind up spending to the new one you know, automatically, including a team that had one of the owners that at least last year was complaining about crying poverty. So you can't make it up. Baseball and, and the hypocrisy uh, never ceases to amaze you. All right, I want to thank everybody for tuning in to another edition of the Talking Mets podcast. You can check me all the time at thetalkingmetspodcast.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media. And you can show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. If you want to interact with me, Mike Silva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. No G, Mike Silva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. I'm your host, Mike Silva. I want to thank the good folks over at the Fan-Sided Podcasting Network, as well as the good folks over at RisingApple.com. Hope you have a great rest of the week. We'll be back with another broadcast pretty soon. Till then, uh, take care, everybody. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.